0: Today on The Ticker Tapes, we hear from George, who, in his late 50s and early 60s, knew something wasn't right when his behaviour began to change, and he would occasionally lose track of where he was.
1: I was shopping in a well-known brand supermarket. I suddenly found that I didn't know where I was. I just hadn't got a clue what was going on. And for about 10 seconds, I stood there and just could not recognise my surroundings or anything.
0: From the British Heart Foundation, I'm Bill Snadden. On the Ticker Tapes, we hear from people living with heart and circulatory conditions. On this episode, George, now 69, a retired English teacher, offers us his take of what it's like living with vascular dementia. He talks to me about grieving for the future he had in mind, but also how he's found purpose in raising the voices of people living with dementia as he calls for a more humane approach to the disease. George, can you tell me a bit about your life before dementia and how you began to notice at some point that things weren't quite right?
1: Well, I was diagnosed in 2014 and in the 10 years up to there, I would say, maybe even longer, I'd been having difficulties with remembering names and just getting a bit stressed out trying to keep on top of various stuff. I was working in a school as a school business manager which meant I was in charge of everything but the teaching, really. And I, to begin with, it was fine. But I then just became snowed under. And I couldn't. I just couldn't cope with all the interruptions and never being able to get through things and re- trying to remember who said what at all the different meetings I had to go to. And then I began to find it difficult to find words. Uh, I occasionally came out with the wrong words, uh, which was sometimes embarrassing. I remember I said to one teacher who was having a really real go at me about some employment issue, and I said, "Uh, "Hang on, I'm going to terminate this uh, this meeting," and he thought I said terminate the contract. Now I'm convinced I didn't, Mm. but but I may have. Mm. But so he went off and shouted around the school, and I was I was not popular. (laughs) Mm. Uh,
0: Bit of a dispute. uh,
1: It yeah. It wasn't easy, but um, mm. I, I don't know whether he misheard or whatever, but I was capable of doing that without, um, without realising it.
0: Mm. And was there a moment in a supermarket as well you might have told me about in the past?
1: Yes, yes. I, uh, I was shopping in um, a, a well-known brand supermarket and I suddenly found that I didn't know where I was and I, I just hadn't got a clue what was going on. And for about 10 seconds, I stood there and just could not recognize my surroundings or anything. And then it all sort of came back to me and I was okay again. And I've had one or two of those little sort of turns, if you want to call them that. It's not, you know, it's nothing like an epileptic fit or, you know, absence or whatever. I don't think Mm. it's uh, well, that's what doctors say anyway. It's just just simply a loss of ability to process what, what's going on around me. Hmm. What's in your
0: mind? What is your level of awareness in those moments? Well, in those moments,
1: I have no awareness of where I am. I mean, I, I, I'm aware that I am somewhere. <laughs> I mean, it's not an unconsciousness. Hmm. It's, a, it's just a, not being able to recognize anything, even though I know the place well. I didn't know where I was, and I didn't know why I was there. Are
0: you aware of other shoppers, perhaps looking at you strangely? Uh,
1: no, I wasn't there. It didn't last for long enough for that to happen. It was just as if I was stopped at the end of an aisle. Mm. Yeah, no, it wasn't. It wasn't embarrassing. It wasn't anything else. It was just. The, it was one of the first major signs that uh, that I now know is quite common. Mm.
0: And can you tell me about um, the events that led up to your diagnosis, and then the yeah, day you eventually yeah. were diagnosed?
1: So. I actually I had been diagnosed with my mild cognitive impairment, MCI, some years earlier. So in a sense I knew that there was the possibility I was on the path to getting dementia. Not always, doesn't always lead to it, but it it, it sort of fifty fifty chance, I think. Hmm. And um and I was and I had that diagnosis because I was losing words and um and couldn't remember names. So, I then went to my GP in 2012. It must have been, and said, "Look, I I really think I need a, a referral for a te- test to see if I have got dementia." And he said, "Well, what's the point? Because if you have got dementia, it'll be vascular dementia, because of your heart problems. Well, I mean, not because of, but that's how I know." Mm. And. There's no medication or treatment we could give you, so there's no point in knowing. So, no, go away. Get on with life. Hmm.
0: What was it like leaving that consultation?
1: Uh, well, I was I was not best pleased, but I thought, oh, well, I suppose at the time I thought, you know, okay. I suppose that's a fair comment. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. I, it was early on then, so, you know, I didn't dispute really. Then I mm-hmm. went back a year later because I was, you know, I was just having increasing problems, and I was slowing down a lot. My, um, mm. my, again, as I say, I was getting stuck in sentences, and um, uh, my memories were. It wasn't. It was classic short-term memory problem. It was just I, I, I did things like not being able to see what was in front of me. So then I go away, mm. come back, and there it was.
0: Mm.
1: Little things like that.
0: How How old were you, George, at this stage when you're going through this um, process? Uh,
1: 62 63 okay mm-hmm. and I uh, I then went back to the GP and he said said the same thing again and I said uh, are you sure and he said yep so the following year when my wife agreed that actually well she didn't agree she told me she um she had seen changes which which was something mm. uh, I mean like disinhibition in conversations
0: you'd be saying outlandish things or strange things or out of character?
1: Well, <laughs> well I think they were out of character. Uh, well, I was certainly using a lot of bad language in inappropriate places. Okay. So anyway, uh, we both went along this time mm-hmm. and said, you you know, there are, there are changes. You've got to ref, uh, refer us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we did. And I then had the usual sort of short, short tests and consultation and I did really well in that I got 9 out of 10 or whatever it is or 97 out of 100 mm-hmm. but you know following the conversation the the med medic or whoever it was said okay well look you know there's something wrong we believe you let's take this further and see if we can find out what it is and I then had a a day and a half of tests with a psychologist and um, the results of those were that yes you've got vascular dementia but you've also got the start of alzheimer's as well
0: Mm. and that was the day you got the answers
1: yep that was the day i got the answers in a in a consultation with three healthcare professionals one one was this psychologist or psychiatrist i don't know which Mm. one was a well one was a consultant one was a trainee consultant and one was the nurse with responsibility for young onset dementia Mm -hmm. and every one of those three answered their phones during the consultation
0: Mm. not ideal
1: it really pissed me off
0: Mm.
1: anyway so that was that
0: going back just to the the few years where you were trying to sort out what the problem was and, and get a diagnosis because you and, and your wife knew something wasn't quite right, how much fear or worry is perhaps going through your mind in that period?
1: Well, I I pretty much resigned myself to or just accepted that I probably was developing vascular dementia because mm. it just seemed logical to me. Mm. I didn't know a lot about it. I, I had had my father-in-law who uh, who had died I think in 2011 or 12 um and he had quite severe dementia towards the end of his life mm-hmm. uh, with a sort of five second short-term memory and and lots of very sort of unusual and aggressive behaviors mm-hmm. um for lots of reasons he probably had ptsd from the war actually because mm-hmm. uh, but but it just became exacerbated and those I mentioned inhibition earlier. Well, he, he lost his inhibitions, which has kept it under control. Mm-hmm. So anyway, he died, and that was a pretty vivid experience for, for me and, and, of course, for my wife. Mm. And then, I suppose, coming back to your original point, I, I just thought, well, I, I, God, I don't want to become like that, but I have a feeling I probably have got the beginnings of vascular Dementia.
0: Mm. Is that scary, that realisation?
1: Not really scary, just just sort of matter of fact. Mm. Because the thing is, I've got a number of different diseases which I've picked up over the years. Mm. I had a heart bypass in um, 2003. But I've also had back things and I've had a hip and diabetes and stuff. So it was just another. Mm. (laughs) Another uh, to add to the list. Okay. So, So I'm quite used to being medicalized about things
0: okay another feather in your medical condition cap
1: uh, <laughs> yeah wrong sort of feather but yes <laughs> have you
0: been told um since by any specialists uh what may have led to this vascular dementia in particular
1: actually that has never no we've nev- never been addressed hmm. have you, um have... it, it, it's it's sort of um nobody ever talks about the past they always talk about well, if they do talk about the future, it's it's the future. Mm. Uh, this is
0: specialists and doctors. You mean? Yeah, mm.
1: yeah. I mean, I very rarely see a specialist now. Mm-hmm. Um, we we don't get a lot of services in uh, in North Shropshire, okay. well, in Shropshire at all. Mm-hmm. So I don't. I rarely see anybody. to... <laughs> you might have to edit that out. Have you just got a message from a specialist? <laughs> I have just got a message, uh, a reminder of something. Okay. Uh, I have now turned off my. Um, Volume. Can I ask what uh, the reminder was or was it private, George? No, it's for a Zoom um, meeting at 12.30. Okay,
0: because you're, uh, you're chair of the um, Shropshire, Telford and Wrekin Dementia Alliance group, aren't you?
1: The Dementia Steering Group, yeah. I I was chair of the Dementia Action Alliance. Okay. I set that up and chaired it for about five years. I'm, I don't do that anymore. Okay. I passed it on to someone else okay. page. I chair a, a Dementia Steering Group for the Health... Health economy,
0: right? Okay, is this Zoom um, that you've got coming up to do with uh, a dementia group? Uh,
1: it's to do with a dementia group, but it's not that one.
0: <laughs> okay, I see. Because you, do, you you do a lot of talks, and you do you um, yeah could be described as a patient activist.
1: Uh, I am a patient activist. That is exactly how I describe myself. Okay. Um, I, I I it's in the particular in the last 15, 16 months during the COVID thing, I have done a lot of Zooms with other people with dementia through the deep network. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've we've developed great friendships and mutual support. Mm.
0: What made you want to get in to becoming a patient activist?
1: Oh, well, I was, well before I got my diagnosis, uh, I was already involved in trying to improve patient experience in our local hospitals Mm -hmm. Uh, and that was because of a job i had with the british red cross here in shropshire um to do with health and social care and i just went along to a few meetings um to to sort of let them know we existed and um and just became involved and also because i was a patient quite often at those hospitals yes so i got onto the patient panels there and um and just started to get more interested and found out a lot more and, and, and ended up doing loads of stuff with some with NHS England, some with the local commissioners and mm. this, that and the other.
0: Through what through your own experience and through listening to many other people living with dementia, how can people, the general public, better interact and and talk to and with someone who has dementia?
1: Okay, yeah. Right. Th- there are there's a huge myth. Mm. And there are loads of stereotypes about dementia. And most, I'd say, half the population at least, especially if they have never had any contact with someone with dementia, usually in their family, most people don't understand anything other than what they see in the media and on films and things. So the the impression is that if you have dementia, you can't do anything. You sit there, you get fed, you you, you sort of dribble gently, and you um, you stare at the TV or at the at the wall, and and it's you know no, it's, nothing could be further from the truth. Um, dementia is is a a disease. Well, it results from the disease in the brain. I mean, there are a number of different things that can cause that disease, mm. and it affects the functioning of any or many areas in the brain, and therefore the functions of your body, mm-hmm. and. It might be your memory, but it's often other things like balance or finding words or uh, being able to sequence events like making a cup of tea, Mm -hmm. working out the sequence and keeping to it. Or when you're making that cup of tea, having turned the kettle on, if you've got some people with dementia, will will walk away and forget they ever did it. Mm. Or, or, or put a meal in the oven and find it the next day, and mm. having not eaten. Mm. You know, it's, it's all sorts of things can happen. Um, and basically, you can't do anything without your brain functioning. And the brain has so many different parts. I mean, the are sort of 30 billion brain cells. You only need a few to be affected, and that's going to affect a part of what you do. Mm. So what we need people to be aware of is... When someone has a diagnosis of dementia, they could be early in the disease process or, or later in the disease process. But but you, you just deal with the person as the person is, not as a person with dementia. So, you know, the the day before I had my diagnosis, I was George. The day after I had my diagnosis, I was still George. I was exactly the same person, even though at the diagnosis they said, Oh, don't take risks, don't get tired, do less, be careful, you know, get your will in order, prepare. <laughs> mm. Well, actually, nothing's changed over those two days. It's the disease in your head is usually there for about 20 to 30 years before the symptoms become obvious. So I've had that disease in there for 20, 30 years. Mm. And I've got an, I might have another 20 to 30 years, or I might have 10, or I might have two. You just don't know. Mm. Um, my decline is quite quick, but quite slow. Sorry, mm. quite slow. I have the power of speech where I'm concentrating on a particular subject. Mm. If you if you ask me something totally out of the orbit of dementia, then I'll probably find it hard to answer. Mm-hmm. But I can focus. I know people who can speak but can't type. I can. I know people who can type but can hardly put a sentence together. Mm. Uh, you know, everybody is different. We're still individual people and we can still learn and do things Mm. and we do.
0: And I've seen on your various YouTube videos or your writings online and just from discussions I've had with you in the past that whether it's members of the public who may not have come across many people living with dementia um, or healthcare professionals who might not be overly well trained, there's at times a level of pity or unnecessary sympathy coming at people with dementia? Uh,
1: yeah, there can be a, a lot of sort of infantilizing mm. of people, treating them like primary school children. I mean, we yeah, you do have to alter the way you speak to someone if they are having difficulty following what you're saying. Mm. But not everybody is in that boat, so you just work it out as you go along. Mm. So So it's... You know, I I can't deal with with um, people who speak too fast because I can't process it quick enough. Mm. And and on Zoom meetings or face to face in the past, I've often had to say to people, especially if if I was the only person with dementia in a meeting, I'd say, look, slow down, folks. I cannot keep up with you. Mm. Um, if you want me to be part of this meeting, you've got to take it a lot more slowly. Mm. Uh, and you know that, that bit at the beginning of a face-to-face meeting where you go around the table and everybody says who they are. Mm. And and so many people are, s- are shy of doing that. So they sort of say it very quietly, mm. very quickly. They look down at their boots. And it's impossible to know. By the time I've worked out one person, then they're three further on. So I always have to stop them and slow down. Mm. Uh, and it's it's just common sense. But People have to adjust, that's all, but Mm. not be patronising. I don't need people to treat me as if I have to be asked, do you take sugar? (laughs) I just want people to be kind, Mm. I suppose.
0: Mm. I've heard you say in the past that you are not your condition.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I am me. Mm. Um, Warts and all. Mm. I don't have warts, by the way. (laughs)
0: Thanks, George. <laughs> Thanks for uh, for updating us on that one.
1: I won't go any further
0: than that. No, no. And um, how, in other ways, how does your dementia express itself in everyday life now? Or, or may I yeah. ask, what is it? What is a bad day for you now, George?
1: So a bad day is when I could describe it as imploding, and I just cannot. It's it's like sort of sudden depression, I suppose. But I don't think it is depression. I think it's, it's, it's not being able to process stuff, not being able to process my thoughts or anything out, uh, coming into me. And I just, I, just, I just seize up for the day. Mm. And, and I just don't want to talk. You know, I might go for a walk, a slow, slow walk. I just, everything just slows down hugely. Mm. And I can't explain why. I, I've often tried to work out what the sequence is that's led up to. That particular day, but it just comes and goes, mm. um, and and that's why the medical profession will often just say, "Oh, well, that's depression." Mm. <laughs> um, but from me, from from my experience, and from that of a lot of people with dementia that I've talked to, uh, we all have this up and down thing. And I mean, it might be a bad night's sleep. Mm. I I take a drug called donepezil, which was prescribed for my Alzheimer's, and it's, it's, uh, it's very commonly used for people with early to middle-stage Alzheimer's. And what it does for probably 50% of us is really speed up the rate at which our brain works. Mm. It just compen- compensates. Mm. And it made an enormous difference for me. Mm. I was very slow. I wouldn't have been able to have this conversation before I took the drug, mm. but it speeded me up. But, it's, but but these bad days are almost as if you revert back to not having had the drug mm. um, and everything just slows down and looks a bit black. Mm. <laughs> Difficult to express and it can come on very quickly actually. Mm. Um, it is sometimes to do with tiredness, certainly. And
0: what might this look like um, if you're having a conversation with your wife or someone in public when you're having one of
1: these bad days? well I probably won't be having a conversation Mm. I'll probably be sitting eating my supper I'm thinking of a (laughs) this is what happens Mm. I will sit and have supper with my wife and I will say probably nothing uh, and I will just look down and then as soon as I finish I will go and lie down and um, and that's it I just just don't do anything
0: Mm. How do you think your dementia has affected your wife?
1: well inevitably it 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 has a it's affected her sort of sense of the world around her she's because i'm i'm pretty much able to look after myself i mean i do need a bit of help with things certain things i get tired quite easily mm. and i i hardly dare say it but doing the housework i find very tiring mm. so i do less of it mm. and uh, but i still cook as long as i can cook on my own. I can cook all right. I can't do with interruptions or anybody around me Mm. in terms of our relationship, I suppose uh, it's just sort of settled to a slightly different level, Mm. which is just maybe quieter, but neither of us are great socialites. So, you know, we never did go out much. Mm. We never did go to lots of parties and pubs and things. Mm. And in fact, what the COVID thing has done for, for me and I'll say for a certain extent, my wife as well. But it's for me, it's allowed me to not have to cope with the, the pressures, the noise, the processing of travel, whether it's local travel or travel to London, mm. to a conference or whatever it might be. And it means that actually I think that's been hugely beneficial to the state of my mind. Hmm. What is
0: it like travelling with your dementia? Because you've spoken about spatial awareness and difficulty with steps and balance.
1: Well, yeah, I I do sometimes have a bit of difficulty. I've fallen off a train once. Um, I hasten to add I was getting off it anyway. Mm -hmm. It wasn't at full speed, but I, I fell off fell onto the platform once, um, just missed my footing. Mm. I have ended up on the train going absolutely the opposite direction to where I was intending to go. Mm. I have on occasions walked quite a long way in London trying to follow Google Maps and going exactly the wrong way, Mm. but I I think that's a fairly common experience. And um, noise, I find noise a significant issue. Mm. Um, There's something... We call, well, no, we don't. Audiologists call hyperacusis, And it's it's when you are adversely affected by loud noises. I can hear them. I mean, my hearing's not good, so I have hearing aids. But loud noise, like clattering or um, screeching, screaming, that sort of noise, like police uh, klaxons, or the the constant drumming of, of, of the noise on the train if it's loud. Mm. Lots of people talking. How will you those, respond in those moments? In those at those times well, when I was on the train I used to, I started I got these headphones that mm. I'm using now. Uh, and use them. I, I I know one shouldn't use headphones too much because mm. it can impair your hearing in other ways, but um but I just use those to uh, deaden out stuff mm. uh, when it gets too loud.
0: But music in waiting rooms and supermarkets is an issue for
1: you? Oh, God, I can't stand it. I mean, if if it's not – the thing is that there's loud music and there's music that just – it just interferes. So in my GP practice, and this is pretty common too, I think, they play – I think it's probably the local radio, Shropshire mm. – so you're sitting there waiting for your quick slot uh, where you've got to actually say everything in around about two minutes in order to explain what's going on. And, um, and you get this bloody music and commentary and stuff coming on. Mm. And you're trying to work out in your mind and shut that out because you can't process everything at the same time. And it means that when you go in, you haven't prepared yourself in the way that you wanted to. Now, if, you have, if your brain's working fine, it probably isn't a problem. But if you're struggling to actually hold on to thoughts uh, and to form those in the first place, then any sort of music or other noise, extraneous noise is a problem. Mm. And I wish they wouldn't play it, but I've asked, and they just, they just ignore. Most people like it. Most people like it.
0: You've also... Spoken about your dementia diagnosis as a type of bereavement for perhaps yeah. yourself or your future and a shared future, even with you and your family. Can you tell me about that?
1: Yeah, well, when you are, I mean, it's a bit like being told you got cancer. It, d- dementia or the brain disease underlying dementia is terminal, there is no cure, there is only one way it's going to go but you don't know whether it's fast slow or what your symptoms are going to develop into all you know really is your life is not going to be the life you thought it might be because most people when they get to retirement which i was pretty up, pretty much at mm. um will be thinking right now i can enjoy myself i've got my pension we can buy a motor home or we can go on holidays or we can, we can just do what we want whenever we want. Mm. And then you get this bloody colossal thump of a, of a diagnosis and you realize actually, no, we won't be doing that. Will we probably, or we better get on with it if we're going to. Mm. So, so it is a bereavement. And also it's a bereavement for my wife because she, Will knows she's going to lose sooner than she would have her her partner in life, mm. um, and she's going. She also will lose the future sort of living that she thought she might have had mm. uh, at least while I'm alive. So things, you know, it depends. the The extent of that feeling of loss depends on what your expectations were. Mm. But your expectations are certainly pretty much dashed when you get that diagnosis. Mm. At least if you got if you get a cancer diagnosis, at least some forms of cancer, you've got a pretty good chance of being being cured or at least having 10 or 15 years afterwards. Mm. With dementia, you just don't know. So, yeah, a bereavement, a loss it is. But on the other hand, it's after a while. If you can come to terms with that and see that actually life goes on, you're not suddenly unable to do anything. Mm. You just go on doing what you can do. And just like if you had arthritis or if you had kidney disease or whatever it might be, you go on doing what you can do. Mm. You don't give up. But the trouble with with dementia is when people give you the diagnosis, it's done in a way that that suggest that you actually have just been given a death sentence and you are going to die, not very pleasantly, and it could be quite soon. Mm. And and that is exactly the wrong thing to say.
0: Mm. And if I may ask, how have your adult children responded to and relate to your dementia? Uh,
1: I I mean, two of them are in the... Two of them are health professionals—one mm. doctor, one nurse. I'm not saying they understand it any more than most people, but they are professional at sort of accepting what what has to be accepted. Mm. And we don't really talk about it much. But but they they're fine. Mm. They they just treat me as as I am. To begin with, there was a slight tendency, I suppose, to assume that I might not be able to do something which I could. Mm. And they'd come along and do it for me. That that sort of faded away a bit, if only because I'm now at the stage where I'm thinking, that's fine. They can do it for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, you know, the, the hard work, because, yeah. because physically I'm not as strong as I used to be. Yeah. So, you know, so if they want to come and do something like sort of chopping up logs or something, mm. well, that's fine. Yep. They may they may be upset by it, but they don't show it mm. to me. Okay. And I would be happy if they did. Hmm. Uh, You know, I would rather talk about it than not, but we don't seem to have done that.
0: Okay. And how important are peer support groups for people living with dementia?
1: Oh, (laughs) right. My favourite topic. Uh, Peer support groups are absolutely the best thing. They're the only... for, For people with... In the early and middle stages of dementia... I'm not sure about the later stages, but certainly the earlier and middle stages mm. where we are living at our normal homes, peer groups provide the best form of support we can have and often the only form of support we get. Because we, when you've got dementia, because so many people assume you can't do things and have sort of stereotypical attitudes, you can feel uncomfortable in mixed groups. If you're with people only, people with dementia, you don't, you don't start from that place. You just accept dementia is dementia and, and everybody's going to go off at tangents and some people won't be able to follow and you help each other. Mm. And, and I have learned so many times that people coming for the first few times to a peer support group, they just blossom, they, they open up. When they, when they get away from their husband or wife who, who may have started to do things for them and make decisions for them and speak for them, they get, get their own identity back. Mm. And I, I remember a, a wonderful example of a, of a lady who was quite frail and uh, elderly and quite advanced in her dementia. And uh, a friend of mine brought, uh, I say friend, an, an acquaintance through patient experience he he brought this lady, his wife, to a group in Shrewsbury, and the first time he stayed for, obviously, just you know to make sure she was okay mm. uh, and that we were okay too. <laughs> and um, and you know he he did the talking for her. He chose her a cup of coffee. He chose uh, not to have sugar, etc. Mm. And she sat there and sat there and looked anyway. So I suggested he didn't need to come to the uh, to the next one. Because she was obviously quite okay, and you know. mm. oh, and and she said, "Oh, I want a proper, I want a, a fancy cup of coffee." Mm. So she she chose a latte instead, <laughs> or something like that. I yeah. said, "I want sugar in it," <laughs> um, so she had four sachets of sugar in it, mm. um, and and then she had biscuits, mm. and and she was she was just unleashed, mm. and it wasn't because he was in any way nasty. Mm. It's just that they'd got into a routine where he spoke and thought for her mm. because she couldn't do it fast enough. Mm. And, it, and, it, and this is what happens. Uh, and it's very, very difficult for people who are caring um, to to actually avoid that. Mm. You have to be incredibly patient.
0: Because it's coming, it's coming from a place of love and protection, but it's also, um, I guess yeah. it can be patronising yeah. and, and you take away that person's personality and agency.
1: Uh, Having said that, there are also people who I've met who have had partners who have been very, well, I could say nasty Mm. uh, about it and have refused to allow that person to go out of the house because they're so ashamed of the fact that their husband or wife has dementia. Mm. Now, that is awful as well. I mean, that's more awful, probably. Mm. And if we can get that person... To a peer group, then again they will often just blossom. Mm. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've, I've known of a couple where it became clear that there was some abuse going on, mm. and uh, and it transpired that uh, that did lead to them having to be separated, mm. and all, you know, you, all sorts of stuff happens. It's not all joy and blessings, mm. but the more openness and more peer support we get groups we get Uh, and the more people who go to them the the better people will live
0: yeah and how important is laughter and humor and being able to laugh at yourself through all this
1: (laughs) well yeah we're we're all different we Mm. can't all do it but humor is great depending on which sort of humor you like Mm. well the peer groups that I enjoy and have been to and in fact Pretty much the one, the one in Shrewsbury that I actually facilitate. We do have a lot of lot of humour, and it's sort of mixed because we're a mixed group. We're not all sort of blokey blokes. Mm. In fact, I'm I'm far from being a blokey bloke, and and we may not be the world's greatest comedians, but we just laugh at at our situation mm. at at life. <laughs> mm. We do get angry about some things like the appallingly poor services available to us and lack of understanding amongst health professionals and care. But, you know, that's, that's why we, we work to try and um, improve them. Mm. Coming
0: back to something you mentioned earlier on how people might begin to treat you differently after the diagnosis, did you see friends treating you differently and did some friends disappear from your life?
1: I can't say that I really had that experience because, uh, and this may, sound, this may sound very sad, but I don't have a lot of friends. I thought <laughs> I thought. Yeah, I thought that's yeah what you knew you might that say, was coming. Yeah. <laughs> and um, around here, I have lots of acquaintances, but my best friends are, without doubt, the people who I've met over deep zooms. The mm. dementia empowerment and engagement mm. project and since we've been doing these zooms instead sort of face to face we've we've been meeting every week sometimes more than once mm. in various different forums and um we just got to know each other so well and we just we just fit together like a glove mm. and hand mm. uh, so if anything i have further developed my 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 belief that You shouldn't do things because you feel you should do them. So we all have a certain number of acquaintances in our lives who we really know deep down we don't really want to see again, but we know we probably will or should for all sorts of reasons. Mm. And I've certainly had that with uh, three or four couples Mm. who who have thought, well, I suppose we ought to go, (laughs) you know. Well, I've stopped doing that now, and if anything, dementia is a great excuse but um but the fact is, it became very difficult to to actually engage with people who I didn't want to engage with because mm. I couldn't do the processing. I just couldn't do it, yeah, so instead of going along and sitting feeling miserable, I just don't go now, yeah, and that's fine.
0: Mm. I can see you you find some silver linings in some of these uh
1: well, things. yeah, mm. yeah i I I am I've become more positive about a lot of things. Mm. Yeah, and and in a sense, being an activist and actually trying to get things improved and changed mm. has given me a real meaning to mm. life. I mean, I I I always sort of was a bit sort of activist in 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 mm. you know in edu- in education when I was teaching, and then as a as a business manager in the schools, mm. I wanted to change things and improve things all the time. Yeah. Um, and of course that leads to frustrations as well but yeah so lovely
0: well, well having known you for a couple of years and, and read some of your blog online and seen some of your videos i know you're not short of an opinion george um <laughs> <laughs> or shy in, in in putting it forward
1: yeah thank you
0: that's all right <laughs> <laughs> just, just 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 to drag you out of that positivity for a moment there's a there's a quote that i want to quote back to you that i came across on one of your videos um which oh, which i which i think yeah. gets to the nub of um how dementia might uh, impact you on a on a tough day. You said if you're feeling low, you don't want to meet people because they'll think you are stupid or mentally ill because you can't finish a sentence or keep up with them, and you're ashamed that you're no longer normal or able.
1: Yeah, well, you do sometimes feel that. Mm. You can do. I don't often feel that, mm. but I know people who do. Mm. I know plenty of people who've said that to me mm. or words to that effect. Mm. I remember one person who came to a group I started in a local market town who said that she no longer walked into town, which was a sort of standard daily walk, because she didn't want to meet people and be unable to have a conversation with them and then think she was stupid. Mm. And uh, it's because she couldn't find words. She would, she would just get stuck in sentences all the time. Now, it doesn't, didn't mean she, she couldn't hear mm. or listen, or communicate, it just meant you had to give her time. Mm. But she felt terribly stigmatized by it. Mm. And that's horrible. Yeah. And you were a
0: secondary school English teacher back in the day, weren't you? Yeah. How has dementia changed your relationship with the English language and reading?
1: Well, dementia has, I think, made it more difficult for me to read books. It's It's not that I can't read, I can. Mm. It's that I can't sustain the concentration. Mm. So I tend to start a book and about 30 pages, 40 pages later. I, I tend to think, Oh no, mm. I can't be bothered. Mm. And it's not because I don't want to. It's because I just think, I don't know what it is quite. I, I mean, I, I, I actually had a bit of a revelation last week. Cause I, I actually finished a book and, it was an interesting one. It was totally different from the usual sort of novel i, I got to the end of it because I, I really want it it was it was just fascinatingly written mm. um and and for once I managed to get back into it hmm. so maybe maybe I turned that corner again yeah i don't know uh, but i mean i know, I know plenty of people who who actually you know find they can't read because they can't they keep jumping around on the page and and they can't remember what they've just read. So they have to go back, turn a page back all the time. And, you know, it it does become quite a challenge.
0: Yeah. What would you say to someone who might be listening to this who's perhaps feeling lost or confused or misunderstood with their dementia right now?
1: Right. Uh, Well, for a start, do not give up hope. Do continue or get back to doing whatever pleases you regardless of what anybody else might think so whatever makes you want to get up in the morning or smile be it going for a walk somewhere or going to the pub or going to the shops or i i don't know what it might be going to the cafe, to a cafe mm. i would say go on the internet if you can and look up to see if there's a deep group in your area mm. deep D D W P straightforward deep dementia uh, we'll find the websites that show you whether there are groups. They're all voluntary groups. Mm. They're all they're all peer support groups that uh, you can go to. But there, are, there are about a hundred around the country. But you know, obviously, there are a lot of places where they aren't. Mm. If you need to find out stuff out, or you're in, in in any sort of trouble as regards your dementia, call the dementia Dementia UK Admiral Nurse Helpline. Mm-hmm which, again, you'll find easily enough if you Google it, because mm. they even if they don't operate in your area, they will point you in the right direction and, and help you. Mm. And if you're very lucky, you will have support from your GP and your memory service. Mm. Uh, but I've got to say that that's few and far between. Mm-hmm. But you're not on your own. And go on Twitter, follow, follow some people, find some people like me and then my friends on Twitter. And you'll find some, some uh, uplifting stuff. Mm.
0: Um, something I meant to ask earlier was: you've got mixed, mixed dementia, Alzheimer's, and vascular dementia. Yeah. Are you aware at times when there might be a vascular dementia symptom kicking in and affecting you, and other times it might be Alzheimer's, or at times it's overlapped?
1: Mm. I yeah, you know, I I thought about this. Um, no, I'm not aware, but I I imagine mm. that. Sometimes if I get a bit of a headache in a particular place, which often happens, I do think to myself, oh, God, here we go. Am I having a little stroke? Mm. My wife thinks that I have a little mini mini strokes here and there, mm. and maybe that coincides coincides with a bad day. I really, I don't know. And, and, and frankly, I've never been able to have that conversation. Mm. What does she see in you when she thinks she might be having a mini stroke? Oh, well, nothing. I don't think there's anything visible while it's happening. Mm. It's just that, you know, a sudden onset for a few hours or day of, of darkness and, and depression and, and maybe making more mistakes than usual. And you think, well, it might be something, Mm. or it might not be, Mm. uh, it's certainly something that, that if it were possible to differentiate, it would be quite interesting to know.
0: Sure. And just to show you that I've done my research, George, I want to quote two things back to you that I came across that you've said or written online, <laughs> which I found I found quite poetic, if I may say. Um, I'm not blowing smoke um, here. <laughs> you said um, in regards to people living with dementia, come with us into our reality as we recede from yours. Mm.
1: Mm. I remember right. You like that? that. <laughs> I do. I do like
0: that, yes. Mm. And then you've also said, um, when the fog descends, just reach out, hold our hand and listen.
1: Yeah. 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 You don't need to do anything extraordinary. Just be there and listen. Um, I mean, I often equate it to not knowing what to, what to say when you go to someone who's just been bereaved, mm. you know, you, the best thing you can do, is just be there and listen. And certainly this I see, I'm convinced that when people are in the later stages of dementia and they appear not to be able to communicate, it may well be that they can't put into external words what they're thinking. But I firmly believe that actually in their in their heads, they're still that same person, mm. they're still thinking thoughts, mm. they're just having it all within themselves rather than being able to externalize it. yeah, which is why you should continue to visit people even when they apparently can't recognize you Mm. because they probably can Mm. and we know from at least anecdotal evidence that people with advanced dementia who get a happy visit not a not not a nasty one but a happy visit are happier in themselves for a day or two afterwards Mm. even if they can't express it and,
0: George, you're now 69, aren't you? Yeah. Right? Yep. And um, the next few years, do you look into the next few years?
1: Not particularly. Mm. I mean, I just, I just see my future as living as long as I can where I am, mm. carrying on with the gardening and walking and nature loving, mm. and that's, that's what I enjoy. Mm. And, and I've learned to – I've taught myself to carve, And I'm teaching myself to do watercolor painting, Mm -hmm. along with a number of other people with dementia, Mm. through Zoom. And I enjoy it. And learning that actually the art teachers that used to say, you are totally hopeless at (laughs) painting, missed a trick or two.
0: Yes. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'd I'd love to receive one of your watercolour paintings one day, George, even if it is hopeless.
1: (laughs) Well, I'll reserve the best hopeless one for you.
0: Thank you, George. And uh, thank you very much for talking with me. um, And we all wish you all the very
1: best. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. And um, good luck, everybody.
0: George's condition, vascular dementia, happens when blood supply to the brain becomes limited, meaning some parts of the brain don't get enough oxygen and nutrients and brain cells begin to die, leading to a loss of brain function. Vascular dementia is the second most common type of dementia after Alzheimer's, and it affects around 150,000 people in the UK. There's currently no cure. If you're diagnosed with the condition, you can be prescribed medication to help control blood pressure reduce the risk of developing blood clots and bring down cholesterol levels if they're high. This can slow down the progression of the disease, but beyond this, there's nothing doctors can do yet. The BHF, however, is currently funding £11 million into research that, we hope, will change this. If you've got any questions about your heart or circulatory health, call the BHF's Heart Helpline to speak with a nurse between 9 to 5 on Monday to Fridays on 0300 330 3311 or email hearthelpline at bhf.org.uk. You'll also find lots of useful information in the episode notes and on our website, bhf.org.uk. See you next time on The Ticker Tapes.